Let's have Pentecost this morning. How about it? Well, welcome to a new semester of chapel. This is going to look different and feel a little different than what we've had before, but God is present. Uh, I've been thinking a lot about the story of God's people traveling in the wilderness and the tabernacle and how it moved with them, and I just said, let's get our tabernacle on. So here we are in the gym. Um, this morning I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the passage that was read today. But first I want to tell you a little bit about um, a story from my growing up years. My dad and I went to a lot of movies in the movie theater while I was growing up. Actually, I saw a lot of those movies, but my dad slept through most of them. The family joke was that my dad never met a movie that he couldn't take a nap through. And I can't imagine that that had anything to do with my movie choices, because at the time, I just could not understand how anyone could fall asleep through such classics as the Care Bear movie. I mean, it requires your full attention. And the problem with falling asleep in movies, besides the fact that my dad snored sometimes, is that often they don't end up the way that they started. And you wake up at the end totally confused. For example, if you were going to start, say, a Star Wars marathon at episode one, you might say something to the person you're with like, you know that Anakin Skywalker kid is really great. I'm sure he will turn out well. Spoiler alert, if you fall asleep in that movie marathon, then uh, you're gonna wake up and it turns out the really uh, great kid is now the scary guy with the Darth Vader mask at the end. Or maybe you're more into sports than movies and uh, you've been in situations where you were watching your team in the playoffs and they were just losing miserably and so you decided to hang it up and go ahead and go to sleep. Only when you woke up in the morning you found out they had staged a huge comeback and you missed the game of the century. Um, you would be kicking yourself, wouldn't you, for giving up too soon. So whether you are a sleepy movie watcher or a Fairweather fan that goes to bed too soon, you might have found yourself waking up and using the same kind of phrase. I did not see that coming. Listen, real life has plot twists too, did you know that? Anybody living in 2020? <laughs> Anybody remember New Year's Eve? Can you think back to New Year's Eve? I mean, it was really great. You were excited about entering a whole new decade. The Roaring Twenties were here. You had big goals, big plans. The countdown happened. You made some resolutions. You shouted out, Happy New Year. 2020 is going to be the best year yet. And I'm pretty sure that now most of us could say, I did not see that coming. Here we are. And this is the last third of 2020. And the plot twists have been so incredibly unbelievable. I am pretty sure that if you pitched this story as a movie script, no one would buy the screenplay because it's just too unbelievable. But, but you are here. You have survived plot twists and changed plans. You've adjusted your life and you've adjusted again. And you've learned to do life with more distance, fewer crowds, and while wearing a mask. I mean, we're all kind of Darth Vader now. 
And back at the beginning of August, just last month, my 10-year-old son, Drew, and I decided we would read through the New Testament together. We're reading it about three chapters a day. And so last week, we finished the Gospels, and we launched into the book of Acts. And that was when we found ourselves in the middle of a huge plot twist. Here's what we didn't see coming. In the Gospels, the disciples weren't exactly honors students, if you know what I mean. They're a mess, actually. I mean, they argued over who would get to be the greatest. They turned little children away. They cut off people's ears. They rebuked Jesus, denied Jesus, betrayed Jesus. If disciple means follower, then they are not even really C-plus followers, much less the candidates to launch a worldwide ministry. And yet, if you fall asleep in the Gospels and wake up a few chapters into Acts, you might feel like you have a whole new cast of characters and are in a whole different story. This same band of misfits is now preaching with power winning thousands of converts. They're healing, they're casting out demons, they're raising people from the dead. They're basically doing everything that Jesus did. Peter's a great case study in this, right? I mean, Peter is constantly falling on his face and continually has his foot in his mouth. And you skip a few pages, your Bible pages stick together and you accidentally turn to Acts. And here he is with such a powerful ministry that even when his shadow falls on people, they are being healed. I did not see that coming. What happened between the Gospels and the middle of Acts? Basically, we started reading about the disciples in the Gospels, and it was like we were watching a first century version of Dumb and Dumber. And we turned a few pages into Acts and woke up, and they, they were like the Avengers or something. This is a complete plot twist. I did not see that coming. And the crux of their transformation, the part you really don't want to sleep through, happens right here in Acts 2. This is a pivot that will change them and us forever. Now, if you've been in church a while, you, you've heard a few messages on Acts 2. You've been to a few lessons. You've done Bible studies on Acts 2. It, it's where we find the Pentecost story. If you were ever told... Get out your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 2. You know right where to go, the beginning of the chapter. Those first few verses, because the imagery there is amazing. I mean, a mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire landing on each person, people speaking in tongues. It is such a spectacle that the skeptics think it's a big drunken party. One of the coolest things I think about Acts 2 has always been for me how it sort of mirrors and reverses the Tower of Babel from Genesis chapter 11. How at Babel you have people using the power of community to lift themselves up, to make a name for themselves, to gain power for themselves. And what's the result? Their communication and their community are broken. They are fractured. If you get to Acts 2, you find God reversing all of that when believers are gathered in humility and obedience to wait on God and send the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, it's like the opposite. They suddenly begin speaking in tongues that are not native to them, and others begin to understand in their own languages. 
community and communication are restored. I love that just because Babel is reversed does not mean they all start speaking the same language again. God does not cross out human diversity in order to bring people together. It is an affirmation of all languages, all cultures, of the message that Jesus is for all peoples and that no one culture or people can ever own the gospel. It's just too big for that. This is a huge sign that God can indeed use this band of misfits to be his witnesses unto the ends of the earth. Remember, that's the last thing Jesus told them to do before he ascended. And that as a diverse people gathered here in Jerusalem, when they're hearing their languages spoken, the ends of the earth have really come to them. They don't have to go far to find the ends of the earth. That's, that's kind of the way it is here in Wilmore. I mean, we don't just go to the nations. The nations come to us. Living in this community is a little bit like Pentecost every single day, and I am thankful for it. In the early part of Acts, we find a story that has it all. Wind, fire, tongues, powerful preaching, thousands of converts and baptisms. But today, I don't even want to read that familiar portion. I want to skip forward to the end of the chapter. The part that tells us why Pentecost really happened. So Dr. Craig Keener, who many of you will have for New Testament classes, has written a four-volume commentary on the book of Acts. Let me say that again. A four-volume commentary on 28 chapters. I'm pretty sure that Jesus doesn't know as much about Acts as Craig Keener does. <laughs> don't, don't tell him I said that. So Dr. Keener calls this last section of Acts chapter 2, the one that was read for us today, he calls this the power of Pentecost. Huh. That's interesting, right? I mean, the first section, the one we hear so often about, the one with wind and fire and tongues and a party-like atmosphere, he calls that the proof of Pentecost. But here, at the end, these verses read for us, he calls that the power. Listen to this passage on the power of Pentecost again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the proof of Pentecost is those familiar signs that the Spirit gave. But here is the power of Pentecost. You want to know the power? The people of God, unified in study, community, fellowship, and prayer, a church that was once just a crowd of people, now so fully united with each other that they actually put other people's needs before their own. If that's not the opposite of Babel, I don't know what is. A church where they understand how to live Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself so clearly that as Dr. Keener puts it, they know that true disciples value other people's welfare more than they value their own resources. 
That's too good, I have to say that again. True disciples value other people's welfare more than they value their own resources. And for a people who have been so shaped by the babble, power-grabbing opportunities of this world to utilize community to act with self-giving love, that is clearly the powerful work of the Spirit. The Spirit sets them free. And they are free indeed. And they use that freedom not to benefit themselves, but to benefit others. Madeline Langle says, God promised to make you free, but he never promised to make you independent. Most of the time, we stop reading the Pentecost story too early in the chapter. We're like someone who falls asleep in the movie and never gets to the good part. We are so enamored with the proof of Pentecost, the outward signs of the Spirit, that we forget to get to the real power of Pentecost. And that change happens somewhere in these verses in chapter 2. Acts 2 began with a core group of believers gathered in private, waiting on Jesus' promise of the Spirit. And through the outward signs, the proof, and through Peter's empowered, Spirit-filled preaching, A crowd begins to gather outside and listen, and 3,000 people are baptized and begin to follow Jesus all in one day. When I was a pastor in a local church, which I was for 13 years, you know what I would have called 3,000 people getting baptized and joining the church in one day? I would have called it a crisis. (laughs) What? What are we going to do with all these people? Do you know what's harder and more chaotic than a community living in sin. It's a community of Christians trying to live together. You don't believe me? Stick around this place for a little while. (laughs) This is not a bubble, friends. This is a place where people are dealing with real issues, real wounds, real conflict, which is to say, real community. As my friend Marilyn Elliott was fond of saying here, we are not really a community until we start to get on each other's nerves. Are you in community yet? Wait a couple days. Here at the end of Acts, we find at the end of the chapter, we find an incredible community. They're actually acting out the teachings of Jesus to deny self. When my son and I were reading this part and all the stories about what the disciples could do now, we were both a little shocked, a little numb. Like, what happened to Dumb and Dumber? Where did these people come from? And he said to me, Mommy, it's like, it's like they're acting like little Christs. They're doing the stuff Jesus did. Did I just fall asleep somewhere and miss something? Where did these people come from? We know this cannot be in their own strength. So where does the strength of a newborn church come from. They proclaim Jesus as Lord. They are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they devote themselves. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And that, my friends, is discipleship. It's discipleship in community, and that is something we're going to be talking about a lot this year. Each of the last few years, we've had a theme as a community for the year. It started out, let's see if I can walk over here. It started out with the spirit-filled life. Anybody have this t-shirt? Raise your hand if you have this t-shirt. It might be time for you to graduate. (laughs) Spirit-filled life. These are my slides, by the way. Spirit-filled life. 
Last year, after we learned that we were filled with the Spirit, we had the grace-filled life, and we talked about the means of grace. Anybody got this t-shirt? All right. This year, we are going to experience together the life of discipleship. Thanks for your shirt, Andrew Neely. This is a great one. If you... So if you come to the community-wide celebration and worship tomorrow evening, then you too can say you've been there and done that and gotten the t-shirt all in just a few days at Asbury. I love, I love that this pattern that we have been through in the last three years in community, if you've been paying attention, has followed the pattern of the new disciples and community in Acts chapter 2. Filled with the Spirit, devoting themselves to the means of grace. But why? To become true disciples of Christ, to serve one another, to give so that others are more important than their own resources, to grow in grace and to be sure that the world is watching and the world will add themselves to God's community only when they see true disciples acting out the life of Jesus, being like little Christs living together. Can we get there? I certainly hope so. This pattern of Acts 2 is a good one, but it's a hard one. The Acts 2 community was filled with the Holy Spirit, but clearly it was only just a glimpse of the community of transformed people that God had in store for them. When their inner reality was so lit on fire by the Holy Spirit, their outward community was transformed to look like Jesus, and other people noticed. And that, my friends, is what makes people follow Jesus when they see him walking around on legs in Christian community together. The story of Acts 2 opens with a crowd, but it ends with a church. How do you get from one to another? This is it. This is the chapter where they went from being a crowd to being a church. Did you know that you can have a crowd and not have a church? Back in March, most of our church buildings were locked. Most of our sanctuaries closed down for business. And some people discovered that when they couldn't gather a crowd, they didn't know how to have a church anymore. In fact, some of us had been saying all along that we were having church when we were really just having a crowd. And now, today, last third of 2020, all over the world, Christians are trying to figure this out. How do you have a church when you can't have a crowd? What are the essentials? What are the practices that knit us together? If we can't stand shoulder to shoulder, crowded, singing with unmasked faces, shaking hands and rubbing shoulders, how do we do church? If our physical proximity was the only sign that we were a church, maybe we need to re-examine whether we are a church in the first place. But you, friends, this is why you're here. You are going to help us answer these questions. What are the things that make a church? Which of the old practices need to be blown up? Can you worship Jesus from your couch, on Zoom, on Facebook Live? Can you worship Jesus in a gym? How, how do we worship with masks on? What do we do with online worship when we can all gather together again? How can you be the church when you can't be together with your church? You are going to help answer these questions 
in order for Christ's body on earth to have a bright future. Certain things have been forced to change, to close by a global pandemic. Certain things will need to change for us to reach a future generation. And certain things will never change. A church, a vibrant community of little Christs whose lives act out the teachings of the gospel, a people who stake their lives on the declaration that Jesus is Lord, are filled with God's Holy Spirit, who value each other's welfare more than their own possessions, and are devoted, did you get that word? Are devoted to the same things in common, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship and to prayer. All the delivery systems can change. They can adapt. Some of them should have been updated a long time ago, and it's just taken a pandemic to help them along. But the things that we devote ourselves to will not change. These are not up for debate. And it's just as great a responsibility to make sure that the essential pieces of God's community stay guarded, unchanged, and true as it is a great responsibility to make the adaptable pieces of the church adapt in each culture and context and generation. That's what you're here to learn about. So here in this community, we will pray together. We will enjoy deep fellowship that comes from putting one another above self. We will break bread together today at the table in the same manner that the Acts 2 church did. It will look different, but it's the same body and blood. We're going to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching just as they did. They thought it was so important, just one degree of separation from Jesus' earthly walking around ministry that they made sure and connected through the apostles' teaching. We'll do things like say the apostles' creed together because it's one of the simplest and most ancient distilled forms of the apostles' teaching. When we do that in a few moments, you will find yourselves connected all the way back to Acts 2. And what you devote yourself to will shape your life. What you devote yourself to will shape your community. What have you been devoting yourselves to since March? Did you grow in commitment to Christ? Did you get better at Candy Crush and Netflix? What are we going to devote ourselves to this year? 2020 has had certainly a lot of plot twists already. And I'm not sure that it's done with us yet. And with all of this experience, we will certainly look back at this year and say, I did not see that coming. But you know what? Neither did the first Christians. We're just in Acts 2, and they have a whole future ahead of them. They had both deep challenge and incredible ministry. They could not have known what was coming next after they united themselves together. Persecution, martyrdom, infighting, arrest, shipwreck, a good portion of the New Testament letters written from quarantine in prison. But it was only after their challenges made them devote themselves even harder that the gospel spread even farther. So how do you take a group of fragmented, individualistic, wannabe, babble-building people in a crowd and make them into a community of little Christs shaped in the way that Jesus taught? How did they get there? How will we? You devote yourselves. Be devoted, friends. Do it together. 
and it will change us in beautiful ways. Let's pray together. Those who are going to lead the Apostles' Creed can come on up. Lord, as we pray, we remind ourselves and you, our hearts are yours. Nothing in us is beyond your reach. And so we give ourselves to you, God, and we say, this community is yours. Shape us, change us. We are devoted to you, God. Make us again in your image. Tear down our towers and help us once again gather at your cross. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.